Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. And I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. Hey everybody, this is the One Hour Photo Podcast by Studio C41. Hey, hey Eric this Jarvie. What's going on, man? Hey guys, not too much. Where did you come from? Uh, the middle of nowhere, actually. Really? Yeah. All right, how's it there? Uh, it is empty and plain, and there are no trees or mountains. <laughs> that uh, So it's pretty rough. Yeah, that sounds fairly bleak. Well, uh, so what did you take pictures of while you were out there? Uh, oh, I have one rule specifically of abandoned houses and towns. Ooh, which is kind of cool. So by by the middle of nowhere, you're talking what? Is Western it? North Dakota. Okay, so oil country, oil country. Yep, nice. where there's pretty much nothing except dead dinosaurs in the ground. Yeah. Okay. Essentially. Oh, cool. All right, man. Well, hey, I'm glad you could uh, glad you could hang out while you're in town. Yeah. Well, it just so happened you guys were here when I came to pick up film and print off photos so yeah and we just kind of stick around yeah we didn't let you leave right like we locked the doors and then we need content so (laughs) it's like jarvie perfect timing man we just didn't know what to talk about you've done interesting things come on (laughs) (laughs) no but um so jordana is out she is uh going to a concert where she might actually photograph i don't know getting to do somebody. things far more interesting than this yeah so she it was kind of funny because she messaged us and she was like yeah i have this opportunity to photograph this uh artist at like a really big concert and everything and you know i'll come to the show recording you know and you know but you know it's free and everything i'm like jordana it's okay you can go <laughs> it's kind of like it's- telling your employer hey i found a a little bit of a better offer. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, I we, it. Don't, we, don't get me wrong. I love it here, but I we can script it, Eric. It's this. fine. It'll work out. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, no. So she is out listening to some awesome music and not with us. So, uh, but we do have Eric Jarvie and, uh, let's, let's dive into your quick background, man. And, uh, I know the last episode, uh, was really cool. Um, it was about a year ago too. Yeah, it was. Oh wow, it was. And um, time so it flies. Oh, it does. So mm. while well, we all here reminisce. Okay, so <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I highly recommend. I'll put it in the show notes. Uh, if you have not listened to the Eric Jarvie episode uh, from last year, I will drop it in the show notes. It was actually a really awesome. Uh, interview because you actually hiked the Pacific Coast Trail, Pacific Crest, Crest Trail, yep. and um, you did it all on the little Yashica FX3 and a 50 millimeter. Yep. So, and it, well, you had a couple other lenses. Yeah, I had a, it, yeah. I took a 72 to 200, yeah. which was really nice. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, you, it's kind of funny because when we were talking about this originally, you were like, uh, yeah, I might put a zine together or something like that. And, and you come back with literally, a book of like just images like there are a lot of pictures in here dude yeah i think uh it's 175 pages and i think there's like 250 or 300 um just because as i would keep going through my it's like there's so many good ones i just can't like not print this so i'll Mm -hmm. include this one too yeah i mean this is like seriously like a full catalog of work in one book here it's pretty phenomenal how much this spans and it's kind of funny because you look at some of these images and it's kind of like, 
this is somebody's body of work that you would think that like spanned years. Yeah. Yeah. You kind of get that same feeling. Oh, totally. Oh, yeah. Well, thanks. Um, and you did it in a hundred days. <laughs> yep. <laughs> wow, dude. Well, it's, it's cool because anybody else who's hiked the trail, like when I see photos from other people, I'm like, oh yeah, I know where that is and that where that is. And it's like other people who have hiked it will know like, oh yeah, this is the whole trail pictures from this spot, this spot, this spot, this spot. But that, yeah. that's what I love about it. It's like, I couldn't just take a segment out because anybody who has hiked the trail would be like, yeah, you got everything except like Washington or <laughs> everything except this spot in California. Mm. So, I mean, that kind of the progression is really the whole story of it. It's not just like going yeah. to one, like you've got images, like there's, I saw like a picture of Half Dome in here, but it's not like it's just a photo of Yosemite. It's about the entire story of right. yeah, everything before and after. Yeah, because like Yosemite was just part of the trail. You, you, Yeah, you'd almost just like, you wouldn't publish a photo, a portrait missing someone's eyes or missing their head or something. So, <laughs> Well, it depends. I mean, if you're Peter if Hurley, then you would the chop going the top their heads yeah. off or something like that. <laughs> I was going for completeness here. <laughs> which I very much yeah. appreciate, which is... Um, I mean, yeah, I can see why you couldn't narrow this down. I mean, you keep, we keep talking about how I need to put something together of all of my photos from like Banff and the Rockies and yeah. stuff. And I mean, I still feel like I don't have anywhere near a complete body of work from that, even though I have at this point years, years of images from it <laughs> and yeah. um, hundreds of rolls of film um, that I've shot up there. And, uh, I don't, it's the hard, like culling it down is the hardest thing for me too. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm looking at this and I literally, every single image that I'm turning to here is just fantastic. I mean, just the amount of details that you captured along the way. I mean, you're like, it's kind of funny. You stopped here and you took a picture of these flowers along the trail. You know, it's like, there's no grand, like the next page, you have a grand mountain view and everything like that, but you didn't forget about the details along the trail and I mean, yeah, that's, this is amazing. That's something that as I'm looking through the photos, I realized that like, um, I really enjoyed taking the two different lenses. Cause like I had the 50 and the 50s I found is just, it's, it's basically my go-to lens. I can get close up stuff. I can, it's wide enough to get landscapes, but not ultra wide. Like a lot of the Instagram landscapers where just like everything's tiny. Right. Um, and then I really found, I loved having the 70 to 200 cause yeah, you could, you could really zoom in and get like close up stuff. Um, if you're far away, you could focus on like a little bit of the mountain or like a section that had like some interesting ridges or curves. And it really helped add a whole lot of range to be able to get everything I saw in there. Yeah. The more landscape stuff I do, the more value I'm putting on long lenses mm -hmm. versus just trying to do everything super wide. Yeah. There's, um, I'd recently found an Instagram account. It's like, I'll have to, I'll have to tell you afterwards and you can put it in the notes but it's like mm -hmm. it's an instagram account that goes through and like of all the popular influencers it'll take like all their photos and make like a collage of like oh here's yeah a, here's I've all seen the, that yeah. yeah your feet hanging out of the back of a camper van or like somebody standing on a ledge or, or somebody like in the front of a canoe you know yeah or, yeah uh, and they're all yeah. kind of like the same and in I an orange that, jacket yeah, yeah exactly <laughs> <laughs> yep what were you saying you found um sorry. and i found that like if you look at a lot of the landscape photos, it's very formulaic, like, oh, like a wide angle lens, focus on some rocks or grass in the in the foreground, a little bit of blur, and then the mountain range in the back and a sunset, maybe. And, Which, uh, I mean, it's... It's really cool. Yeah, and it's a solid formula for that, but yeah. it has oh. become fairly ubiquitous. Yeah, and I, like, mm -hmm. as I'm shooting, it's like, oh, I can just take one lens and do that. But it's like, if I'm making, if I'm taking photos to remember it, I don't want to just want to remember, like, 
the same formula seen all the time. Yeah, no, I totally so. agree. I mean, there's just really cool things along the way that you've captured here. I mean, you have, like, I'm looking at another one here, like the geyser, you know. Um, it's actually a steam vent that comes out of the vent. ground, okay. and it smells like sulfur and rotten eggs, so. Mm. Okay. So, like, I'm looking Delicious. at. Delicious. Yeah. Mm. But I'm looking at this, and, like, these are details along the trail. Mm-hmm. I mean, like, you're giving whoever looks at this context as far as like, this is information as well as a, this is a really nice picture. Like there's actually, you know, we were kind of talking about this beforehand, but like this could be useful information as well as a great picture. Yeah. And it does read a bit more as a piece of serial art. And that makes sense. In fact, that this is, it's not about a single image or a single part, like you were even saying. It's about this entire yeah progression. Like I, I'll, these pictures, I, a lot of them are are amazing and can stand on their own. But I think as in this, the way that you've chosen to present it as this serialized, this is the first image is the start of the trail, mm-hmm. you know, and yeah. then um, the very last, like, what's the very last picture in the book? It's the entrance to Manning Park in Canada. Yeah, there you go. I mean, yeah. so it really is a story. Yep. Um, it's your story of this journey. So, and even the the name, like, with the twenty six fifty, is that how many uh, miles? Yeah, that's about. That's the like official designation for mileage, more or less, depending on where you go. But yeah, twenty six fifty miles for it. So I thought that was a fitting name because like. The whole distance of the yeah. whole journey. I think it's really Man. cool. Uh, dude, the triptychs in here are just fantastic. Dude, I'm like, I'm. Where can I buy this book? <laughs> yeah, right? I'm serious, dude. Because this is this is fantastic. This is amazing work here, dude. And so uh, let's back up a little bit. So this was from the entirety of the trip. So literally, page one is the start of the trail, mm-hmm. right? Yep. So you took the first shot here. Um, and you have the Southern Terminus Pacific Crest National Park Scenic Trail. And then you're going through, you said there were five major sections that you were yeah, going through. Yeah, you've here. got like California Desert, the Sierra, Northern California, and then Oregon and Washington. Okay. Wow. Then you hit the border. So I like, it's all chronological. I tried to group things. Um, th- occasionally there's like sometimes where like these photos flowed better together and they're like two days apart. So I'd swap them around. But for the most part, everything is literally as you'd hike it. That's what you would see. Nice. Wow, man. This is fantastic work. I, you know, going into talking a little bit more about this book, 2650 or 2650, would, how would you prefer to call it? Whatever you want to interpret it as. It's like, it's like <laughs> Jiff or Gif. Oh, oh. It's just dang. A, well played. It just sir. depends if you, you know, say the word graphics or graphics. Yeah. Well, I, see, I call it 2650. So you can call it 20, 2650 if you want to. That's fine. We can agree to disagree, yeah. you know? Okay. Yeah. No, I, I just call I it mean, 2650. You know, you, <laughs> I say tomato and you say Jifron. So. <laughs> <laughs> so you just said it as Jif. Though, yeah, I know, because so. it's wrong. Oh, and that's okay. how you say okay. it. Okay. All right. So there. I want a PB&J sandwich now. Dude, seriously. Mm-hmm. There's so got to be someone around here. Yes. I'm Eric, not hungry Eric. at all, but that sounds fantastic. It does. Anyway, so... So work um, yes. that you're creating. Um, so we were talking about, like, audience for mm-hmm. this book. Like, who would this benefit, right? And I, we were looking at this, and I was like, yeah, you know, it'd be cool as a zine and photographers. This is amazing photography for photographers. But I personally see this and say... 
this could be information that could be useful to a hiker, somebody that may be interested in, you know, what to expect along the trail. Like you have a certain unique experience that not many people I could say have. So for you to, you know, right now it's just pictures. And I think this is kind of like your first iteration to like physically see this for the oh, first yeah. time. Part of it was, right? part of it was just like, I have so many pictures. It's going to cost more than I have to print them all as eight by tens. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, you know, but like I could see something like this being useful and like, it's I honestly, I could see this like being in REI, you know, hikers and people that are interested and people that do like very nice pictures um, of this particular trail. I mean, I think you are on to something very, very cool. Well, cool. Yeah. I was originally planning on just like making one or two copies and, put it on a coffee table. But as I think about it, like, yeah, if I add some story, um, there's a couple directions I could go, but add some backstory and some yeah. text and some of the tales from the trail into it. Yeah. I think that'd be fantastic. Would add even more kind yeah. of depth. to I it. I don't think you necessarily need to like label every single image. As sure. As, like, I, I did start as that. And I was like, just putting the place and where it was. And it just felt very kind of like an almost robotic. Yeah. Yeah. There's a certain, it, it was like it's text, but it doesn't really, add to the story at all yeah exactly so why is it there yeah no i i certainly agree that it is way more impactful with nothing there like i mean i think that there should be some kind of prologue or like some kind of um introduction introduction you know, yeah. to that section or maybe breaking up the images based on the five sections that we were talking about uh, just a minute ago and then just kind of like set the experience for that person as they start going through those images right and let the images speak for themselves because that's what it looks like to me it's like these pictures i think do not necessarily need words as i'm going through them right mm -hmm. um at least for the in the sense and context of this book um i i think it's you're on i'm gonna say it again yeah i think you're onto <laughs> something dude well thanks i yeah. really appreciate it yeah so um and then you wanted to talk a little of how I made it. Yeah, I was yeah. actually going to ask um, that. I was about to ask that as far as like, what was your, your process of where did you get this printed? How yeah, did you put it together? Because I have like, I, I'm an engineer, so I have like zero graphic training or whatever. So I'm like, sure. how do I make a book? I have no idea. Not, not graphic? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that is correct, Steven. All right, all right. Um, we'll go back to get some lined paper and start doing phonics again. That's fine. It's <laughs> It'll be out of love. Oh, thank oh you. Guys. Um, yeah. So anyways, I was just looking around and I had printed some previous stuff with blurb. Um, and I was looking at Ed Condé's book, uh, layover. And I know he did it with mag cloud. So I was like looking between those two and kind of Googling around. Um, I ended up settling with blurb just cause it was fairly easy to print. Um, but the biggest deal was you can make book layouts in Lightroom and they had a layout template for that. So I just downloaded it and printed, but you don't really need theirs. You could kind of just do it from scratch. Um, so yeah, that was really it. I just kind of selected all the images I wanted, put them into an album and then it was pretty simple to arrange them in Lightroom mm -hmm. and then, uh, export as a PDF and upload it and print it. Fascinating. So did you have choices as far as like the type of paper that you were printing on the cover, yeah, they the have type some, of binding? They've got a few different grades of books. Like they've got their trade books, which is kind of, well, they've got zines, which is kind of like the lowest, cheapest they've got. Trade books. Um, I think I used an upgraded paper on this trade book. And then you can go to like a full fledged photo book where you can soft cover, hard cover, rigid pages, like the lay flat pages, mm -hmm. um, and glossy paper and different types of things like that. 
Um, so I just did this as a trade book just to see it in print and kind of proof it out before I did anything bigger. But, uh, yeah, even with just the PDF, I could probably take that anywhere else and get it printed in a similar style. Oh yeah, for sure. Definitely. Oh man. But yeah, there's like for someone who's never really made a book and like, I don't have this whole artist room or lab, like Jason Lee, I see photos of him making a book and he's got like tables and tables of photos and some of these other big guys. It's like. Just making a book is kind of intimidating, but there's some really easy ways you can get it done without much experience or know-how, and it's not as expensive as you think it would be. Interesting. So now that you have the book and you have the images and we're kind of feeding you some ideas, I guess, what what do you see yourself with this book? Like, I know the ideas start flowing in like 10 minutes ago, but I mean, like, what was your idea with this book prior to to you know putting this all together so prior i was going to try and type a prologue but i just couldn't figure out how i wanted to kind of structure it i wasn't really aware of who i wanted to target it to um i still think there's a personal aspect where i may make just like a one-off deluxe edition for myself Mm. um yeah i think kind of knowing a better audience of like these are people who are interested in hiking and maybe have hiked the trail um being able to kind of narrow my focus down to that because it when I started typing, I wanted to include everything, personal experiences, trail, background and history, all this other stuff. It was just way too many words. Um, it would be more of a textbook than a photo book. <laughs> <laughs> sure. sure. So, uh, yeah, I think with some of the feedback you guys have had, I can go refine this and maybe add a little bit of extra text to help beef out the story mm-hmm. um, and give the picture some context. But I think they do a pretty good job of standing for themselves. Oh, for sure, dude. And then the text would help that. Yeah, definitely. And I'm sure we we talked about, asked the actual number last time you were on, but like how many rolls of film do you think you shot in the span of that 100 days? I know I shot 40 rolls, which is not nowhere near as much as you shoot in a week. 40 on a trail. rolls I mean, on 100 days? I was yeah. going to say, like wow. that's something that I want to dig into a little more with you because I so much sometimes... That's a I mean, day for yeah. Steven. I mean, I, yeah. Like, I see bags of bags of yeah, bags of film I for like, like a week trip. I'm I like, mean, granted, like my last trip was I was up there for like client work too. So like you know, three of those were like shoots with actual. Well, two were client shoots. One was a styled shoot, but you know, I still probably did like twenty, thirty rolls of like personal stuff while I was up there too. Mm-hmm. Um, in the span of like five days, but um, which that number just blows my mind. It's like. It's a lot of film. Yeah, it's a lot of film. And I like to think that I'm doing it like thoroughly investigating a place and really delving into it. But I also at the same time, like wonder, am I overdoing it? Like, I just want to kind of get your like in, you know, 40 rolls of film. That's like most of the images you're taking are probably like one shot. Yeah, that's what it turns out to be. Um, Because I don't like you have the luxury, you're going to a location, you're going to be there for hours. Yeah. And like, because the trip was for hiking, it's like, my focus is I have to get here. So I don't have the luxury of like, I can't just stay at this spot for two hours and shoot through mm. a couple rolls. Um, so yeah, a lot of it's just kind of like, it's really kind of on the fly looking, seeing things. And like, that's pretty cool. Take a photo, maybe spend two or three minutes walking a little bit around to grab it. And like, cause like I'll watch Thomas Heaton. He's a really cool photographer yeah. to watch, but he'll go out. And he'll hike and he'll spend, I don't know, a couple hours in a location, get some really awesome images. Um, but the way I kind of do it is like, I don't really have that time. It's, it's, it's a lot of like real, just quick, fast, see something, double check your exposure, 
line it up and then shoot and then walk away. <laughs> yeah. I mean that. So yeah, there's usually, most of these are just one officer. There might be, if, if there's one where like, I know I got the exposure wrong, I might bracket two or three frames, but that's very rare. It's usually like really low light. So you were that sure in the shot that you were taking. Not that you at all. <laughs> <laughs> that's why it's like, there's a couple in here that are like happy little accidents that I'm like, oh, that turned out a lot better than I thought. Or, oh, there's some light leaks that make it look kind of like trippy and cool and oh, artistic. Cool. But yeah, most of these are kind of like, well, uh, that's what the meter says. That's what I think it should be. So, yep, let's go for it and hope it turns out. I mean, I I like that because it's so... It, it adds so much more joy to getting the film back. You're oh, like, sure. You're just like about to crush the seat you're in and jump around because you're like, yeah, it came that, out. <laughs> that one shot I was really hoping for came out. Right. You know, yeah. Wow. Um, Except it was with 40 rolls. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Good grief. Wow. I've definitely had like, you know, why did I, I shot three or four rolls of this one particular peak and none of them came out the way I was hoping for. Or I didn't like get the light exactly the way I want, maybe one frame, you know. Which I feel like that's a, I don't want to say so much more a traditional landscape approach to like sit and like I wish, even like a lot of these places, man, I wish I had the luxury to like sit in it for a couple hours and just mm-hmm. watch like the light change on them. Yeah. Um, But there's something that's so nice about not even having that chance Um, about like just the, I think it, it does, it speaks to everything you were doing in this experience and that it is. So if you were to stop and like really take in every single spot, along I would have this, never got to Canada. Yeah. You would have never made know, it. You'd yeah. still be there right now. <laughs> I mean, and that's probably like when I think about doing like a long distance hike or something, that's like, how would I, I would starve because I would just be filling my bag full of like rolls yeah. of film and like, I'd bring like three or four camera bodies and like different yeah. formats. And I'd like want to shoot, that one ridge on medium format and 35 and maybe on an instant camera mm-hmm. and you yeah, know. Yeah. Yeah. I hear you. Well, that's the other thing I, I like, um, going on the trip. I also looked for a phone that had a pretty decent camera on it. Cause like, I know I'm going to be shooting film. I'm going to be limited yeah, on film. I, remember that. I took a lot of photos on the cell phone too. Like if I shoot it on film, I tried to shoot it on the camera also just so if that didn't come out, I still had it. Yeah. Even though it's just like, still just a phone. I mean, photo. at least for the, sure. like the, for the, memory to document it for yourself. Yeah. 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 But still the like, like, well, you got one shot. I think there's a lot of discipline in like taking one shot when it comes to a scene as spectacular that you came across. Where it's like, okay, I took that one shot back to the course. You know, it just, mm-hmm. you're resuming. And I, like Steven, I'd be hanging around at this waterfall for you know, 15, 20, 30 minutes. And then it's like, oh, half the day is gone now, you know, because yeah. I took a whole bunch of pictures of this. So, yeah, it's kind of that. Yeah. Uh, it's it's that, almost like a street photography approach to. I, I was going to say yeah. it's like William Eggleston. Like he so much so is the idea. Like he never takes the same picture twice. Yeah. Like once he takes a picture of one subject, he's done. Yep. Huh. He like So if he's walking around somewhere, he'll see someone catches eye, click. And one frame of film and then moves on to something else. Yeah. And somebody, true. I think, asked him one time, was like, well, why don't you explore? He's like, I already photographed it. Why would I photograph it again? Yeah. Hmm. And so, I mean, he's a weird character to begin with. Yeah. <laughs> like, if there's William Eggleston in real life, I think there's a little documentary on him. And it's <laughs> so strange, man. It's like an episode of Twin Peaks. It's hmm. like that <laughs> weird of a person. And it's phenomenal. Just he's 
And he like just walks into a restaurant and is just like taking pictures and everybody either like is loves it or is like visibly uncomfortable by the vibe <laughs> he's given off. And it's just it's great. Um, so that, that made me think of that, that idea of like you can't stop. You have to keep going. Yeah. Dude, I, I'm really excited as far as where this is going to go. I'm totally blown away. Um, don't take any images out of it and let me know when this book goes out because I will be the first person in line to buy it. I'm serious. Well, thanks. I'm serious. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I definitely would grab a copy of this as well. Yeah. Sweet. Yeah, and I, I know Blurb is great for like the amateur stuff, but I know if I actually get a book together, I'm going to have to look at more larger ways to print. Or not larger, but like kind of bigger operations to print it. Sure. Because the, their quality is pretty good for the trade book, but there's a couple frames where like, yeah, two of the different printer colors didn't quite line up. Mm. Um, it's not up to the quality I would want other people to get it sure. as a trade book. But yeah, other than that, it's like, it's really great for just kind of proofing things. Oh yeah, totally. I mean, I would see, I haven't like, you know, been looking at the images with a loop or like something to <laughs> make sure of that, but I could see it even as it's form right now, like on a shelf being, you know, purchased as like, that could be a book that like Aperture has put out as like a quarterly magazine. Or oh something, yeah. Or, you know, hmm. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Sweet. So what, what, now that you, I know you're going to be finishing up the next iteration of this book and everything, but I mean, you got any big hikes that you're looking forward to or anything? Along I those mean, lines? and along those lines too, yeah. I was going to, I wanted to get into your brain a little bit of what's been going on since, because I know you've been in the middle of nowhere. Oh been, yeah. Been yep. working this oil job in yep. North, in took North a, Dakota. Took an oil job up in North Dakota. Um, but you've still been doing these um, much shorter, like, it seems like you've had a good number of excursions. Yeah, it's sense. it's taken it's kind of twisted my brain because I really wanted to go hike the CDT this year, but it's like ah, I can't really do that because I I let a lot of other things go like building a career, staying in contact with friends. What's the CDT? Um, Continental Divide Trail. Okay. So it's AT PCT. It runs up the middle through Colorado, Montana. Okay. Um. So yeah, I had the time. I've I've had my schedule's kind of weird. I work two weeks on, one week off, which is good and bad at the same time. But those weeks off, I was able to kind of retool my brain and take shorter kind of micro adventures where I'd go pick a national forest or do something and explore. So like during the winter, I went to Montana and did some skiing and checked out Glacier as much as you could go into it. Um, and then I've gone when I'm not either home or elsewhere, I've gone to Badlands, South Dakota, nice Black Hills. Just recently I went over to um, Bighorn National Forest in Wyoming. So did a, there's like a 60 mile loop trail around there that I, Took some time, did over three and a half, four days or so. Nice. Got some nice photos just because it's, uh, I'm in that area of the country. I've got a little bit of time to explore it, so I might as well go check it out. And it's kind of, it's during the weeks that I'm there, it's just like, I can't find anything that I want to photograph. And I've I've tried photographing things I don't really want to and just for the sake of photographing, yeah. but there's just no passion behind it. So it's like, I got to get to the mountains. And uh, <laughs> that's when the camera lights up. I get it. I, yeah. I totally get it, man. That's how I come home with like, you know, 30 rolls of film in a few days. So. I understand. <laughs> so um, you shot all of this and with the FX, Yashica FX3. Mm -hmm. You came in here with a different camera. Yeah. So uh, the Yashica is still my go-to backpacking because it's light and it's been beat to crap and it's still alive. Yeah. Um, but in the Emulsive Secret Santa, Mm -hmm. uh, I got the really sweet Secret Santa. Um, so thank you to Jason who sent it to me. 
Um, but I got a Konica Auto S2, um, and I put a cu- couple rolls of film through it, and I, it's really sharp. It's it takes it takes a little bit of getting used to because it's a rangefinder and mm. it's the first time using it. Um, once I've started to get the hang of it, it's I, I'm kind of liking it. It's a little bit bigger, so I wouldn't want to backpack with it, and it's mm. nice, so I wouldn't want to destroy it. Sure, yeah. Um, but I'm trying to start using that when I'm not backpacking, just to change things up a bit. Yeah. I've I- noticed the lens is just um, insanely, insanely better, like a whole nother level from the Yashica one I'm using. Mm-hmm. Really? It's yeah. People have compared it to, um, I almost want to say I've seen things where it's like people have compared it to lower end Leicas and stuff like that. It's just, wow. I think it's the, it's the name of it. It's the name is officially like, you can grab it out of the bag if you want to. Yeah. It'd probably be like one of the, like the, I the think it's hex, like a hexanon, hexanon or yeah. hexar lenses. Yeah. 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 And it's a fixed 45 millimeters. You can't 1. change 1.8. I think. Yeah. yeah. So it's kind of it's kind of funny. It's like the um, Canonette. Yeah, it's like, well, it's almost oh, like a version right. of the Canonette. Because I was looking, and Stephen was telling me about the Bessa R two, and I was kind of looking at that, and probably going to try and save up to get that. And then I got this in the Secret Santa, and it's like, well, that's yeah, that exactly is the, what I was thinking. The Hexanon one eight. Dang. Yeah, it's a really sharp little lens. I yeah. shot a roll of in the Badlands. I did one camera with Portra, one camera with Ektachrome, and basically shot the same scenes. And the Ectochrome just came out phenomenally sharp. Very cool. Nice, man. I mean, that's, yeah, those, that's still like you can get uh, Konica Hexar, like they're more modern um, rangefinders that still fetch like a very good price just mm-hmm. because of the quality of the glass on those yeah. and the build quality of them and everything. So Konica made some really cool gear. Um, unfortunately, yeah, Konica Minolta is out of the camera business altogether. Womp, womp. Right. Well, they left yeah. a nice legacy, though. They did indeed, and they yeah. still make some wonderful photocopiers. So, <laughs> did not see that turn coming. Yeah, when they got out, I mean, they sold all their stuff to Sony. Um, all their yeah. so that's where all of the uh, the Sony Alpha, the A mount was the it's the Minolta A mount. Yep. Cool. Yeah. So you know the Minolta Maxim system, like the first, the Sony A one hundred, basically is a Minolta design body camera like even the way the dials are set up and everything mm-hmm. on it is straight minolta hmm. and then they started like evolving after that it's pretty wild right yeah <laughs> well all right so um we're playing around with this camera now and is uh, there film in this no no film okay, i just cool. put a battery in it i haven't actually ever used the meter on it so i'm trying to see if the meter actually the meter works. Should works yeah um it should work i've just never used it before it's it's very nice of him to ask you if you oh, had film in it. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Because when whenever I show him something, he's like, "Oh, cool, click, click, click." I'm like, "Thanks." <laughs> well, yeah, <laughs> I you ex- just shot like four rolls on my medium format, and I have that camera. Thanks, buddy. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, it's more fun <laughs> to waste your film, Bill. Yes. So not Charlie's. No, because no. he, you know, hundred days, forty rolls of film. You know, yeah, every, exactly. Every he uses it. It's much precious. more precious. <laughs> Well, he's playing with it, so let me bring it back. So, um, what what's coming down the line? Uh, any other major hikes? I know you've been doing like small little adventure stuff, but do you have are you planning anything big? Yeah. Um. Uh. Before I return to Georgia sometime in the fall or late fall, um, I'm mm-hmm. planning to hit up Glacier in late mid late September. Mm-hmm. Um. Maybe head up to Banff. Do hopefully, it. Hopefully, head up to Banff, <laughs> and uh, then road trip it back home. Sweet. Dude, that would be a phenomenal road trip. I mean, geez. Even just the drive. From- I haven't decided if I want to go out 
US two through the northern peninsula of Michigan and down, or if mm. I want to go down south and cut through like Colorado. That's a really good question. Yep. Cause there's not much until you get to the Great Lakes. Yeah. And then you've got the East Coast and like Superior and all yeah, that. Yeah, exactly. Stuff. But like leading and then up the to the other that. side. After Colorado, there ain't much till Georgia. <laughs> no, not at all. Yeah. yeah, so it's where you want to just have all the flat stuff. Mm-hmm. Wow. And if you even like were to cut across like Canada going across there, man, I mean, that'd just be, Saskatchewan is very, very flat. Yep. And my Discover card wouldn't work, so that's kind of out of the question. Mm. Ooh. <laughs> well, there you go. All right. Well, uh, we're going to shift gears here up a little bit. We're going to go back to an old format uh, where we talk about the photo news uh, so it's been a hot minute. We've been trying to squeeze photo news into the previous episodes, but uh, we've had uh, one-on-ones and um, uh, tag team interviews and stuff like that and uh, uh, lots to talk about. So let's let's dive into it. Um, so I'm going to pull up our uh, first article here, and I think this one might be a little bit of a doozy because Stephen and I actually disagree on this topic. Uh, so Kodak. Um, and this is Kodak Moments, which is also a division of Kodak Alaris, is trying to bring back the photo kiosk. Um, and, I, you know, I understand that there is a significant need in updating photo kiosks because the issue that uh, has been kind of lingering are these kiosks that don't really have mobile device support or real good mobile device support and not a good way to print it. Well, yeah. I mean, so like the photo printing kiosks, the large majority of them have been there since, I mean, I want to say they're all close over 10 years old at this point, if not more. And if you think about it, that era was still like, Oh, photos, pull your memory card out, stick it in the slot. Yeah. Photos you want. Exactly. I mean, I remember they're, they're very akin to uh, Wolf. We would have, we had a, a Kodak kiosk that was meant to be a quick solution for somebody who needed prints right away and didn't want to wait to put their images through our main system to be printed on a frontier. Hmm. So it was just, that was kind of like the quick, I've got two minutes and I need these or I'm not printing anything with you kind of solution. Um, But that was even at the time, um, they had this really limited jankety Bluetooth connection where it was so incredibly slow to load images from. Um, And even now you have like kiosks in a lab like here at Dunwoody or any place that's made by companies like Lucidium and these other like integrating kiosk software companies but the loading things mobily is still just, it's horrible. Um, you're hooking up with a physical USB cable to it. And a lot of times they're not designed to load all, work with the interface of your phone, load all the images you have in there. It's just not a great system. Um, and I was even in the CVS by my house the other day. And they have two, two Kodak kiosks there. And they have like a multi usb cable snake thing hanging out of the back of both of them yeah that's basically that's the solution that they've been given for people to get prints from their phone on yeah um so it's all yeah it is it's all kind of aging and these kiosks need a refresh absolutely sure you know and i totally understand and totally respect that notion i just i think that we've kind of moved on away from kiosks um 
because I mean you have apps now that where you can submit a print through an app and you can go pick it up and everything along those lines. And I think that the kind of age that we live in now, it's kind of like that's the kind of the direction that things kind of tend to go in now, right? We can order something off Amazon and it shows up at our front door, you know, literally two hours later if we wanted to, you know, that badly. But, you know, I just I kind of feel like people don't have time to sit at a kiosk. And I, the way I've seen it is coming from a technology uh, expert or a tech my profession being a technology specialist is that people are just not really good at technology and the the market that this people are pointed towards are just not good at technology in general. So I just, I hear people like Gary Vaynerchuk, who's like a really big, like, um, entrepreneur and, uh, what's the right word? An entrepreneur He's, influencer. Yeah. And, um, does he have a red jacket? No, I don't think he. I don't. I can't he be that. Does. He Maybe. can't be that big of an influencer, though. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, um, but what he constantly is saying is, see what the kids are doing. Watch what the kids are doing. Like if there's a new app that's like ready to blow up or something along those lines. Generally, it's what the high schoolers are using at that point. So yeah, I I see what you're saying, yeah. and I agree with that to a point. Yeah. But there's always been, and this was from when like um i was first working in a photo lab in like the early 2000s all the way through the time i was there for like nine years working at wolf um and even so like seeing the when the consumer use of film was really starting to drop off then um throughout that entire transition and talking to anybody who'd been there decades before Mm -hmm. the kids were never the ones who printed photos um, so right. it's never been a demographic of that. It was always you would get um, f- like, you know, high schoolers, 20 somethings, the occasional roll of film, um, the occasional images printing out, maybe a disposable camera from a trip. Mm-hmm. But it was always when you started getting people coming in was wedding pictures. And then when you start having families with children. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was never that demographic of like what the kids are doing has never been the consumer orientation of getting pictures printed out. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, and there was definitely like the other side of things as far as like people like me and an art school kid, we're doing pictures for a specific body of work for a specific mm-hmm. purpose for, sure. um, but that, that business was never, you know, never I would really say it was never really targeted. It was right. never really there because, yeah. um, I mean, still right now, even I don't think if, um, th- what the kids are doing is necessarily even creating anything that they're going to try to like have archived or like preserved for a long amount of time. Sure. Um, but look, all right. So let me, let me flip this around on you then. So, uh, I'm going to use Jarvie here as a test subject. So how did you submit your prints that you picked up today? Uh, well, well, I came into the store. If it was easy enough, I would have just walked, handed Michael the, Hey, print these on the flash drive. But yeah, I went to their kiosk, put it in, printed them. Um, you didn't help my situation at all. <laughs> no, I didn't. Well, see, and I, I, I think I might actually be on Steven's side here. Um, because if you look at who has the photo kiosks around, it's the, like the high end photo labs or people, if you're, if you're, Printing professionally, you're going to go somewhere that's really high quality. Probably not like an, a quick kiosk. Um, sure. 
And then if you look at where kiosks currently are, like every Walmart has a photo center. Um, and yeah, even Walgreens has some stuff. The people who just kind of want like quick photos of their family aren't really concerned with quality. And I think it could be a hard market for Kodak to break into. I mean, they're already in there. They're but, already there. Yeah. I mean, I mean, that's, that's the thing, like with these kiosks and places, I mean, and you even posted a photo um, of like there was a target that was pulling the last of their kiosks out of a particular mm-hmm. one. Yeah. And you go and it's, yeah, I absolutely, it's not every single location as it once was. I mean, mm-hmm. we talked with Tim from Kodak about this. That used to be that every single grocery store you could get film sure. developed at. Now, if they made the kiosk that you could print and develop film, that could be kind of cool. That could be kind of, they've, there's been some of those, but it destroys the film in the process. Mm-hmm. Um, no, so you're not getting like negatives back. Yeah, so never mind. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's, it's almost like a, uh, the old school photo booth, you know, with like the, whatever it's being developed so fast that it's going away. Yeah. Um, but there's, um, you know, what I was saying was that it's not key that every single store has a kiosk now. But you go into certain locations, like there are some, like there's a few couple different like CVS and Walgreens near where I live. Um, and there's two, like a CVS and a Walgreens across the street from each other that have good sized photo centers that have multiple kiosks. They're the ones that actually carry film in stock. They're much more uh, designed with that in mind. And it's been a thing of still like, there's not a time when I go in there, I don't see someone who's maybe getting one or two pictures printed out or sitting there. Mm-hmm. But then there's another like um, Walgreens down the street that's like near the uh, the, the Brave Stadium, um, like on Cobb Parkway. So like a high traffic area, really an impulse by people running in and out. Um, uh, I think they've pulled everything out of that store. Um, so I think it's much more of a targeted, focused, like they're actually looking at where are the places that are people are going to be printing stuff out. And there's some places too where like maybe the only place in your city to or your town to get a picture printed out is your Target or your Walgreens and they have that kiosk right there and you really need these pictures. You sure. really want to have these pictures printed out. Um so I think it is definitely not a again it's not as an all present and that ubiquitous and every single corner is going to have one of these things. But I think that I really do believe that it is something that they need to be upgraded and they need to have be refreshed and they need to be maintained. And if they're going to be put out there, let's make them good and make them better. And then like actually places that see the value in it, like some of these drugstores that are doing a decent amount of profit off of photos. Um, Because that's really just money in the bank for them. Um, there's not a ton of overhead in these things. It's not like it once was where you have a wet lab where you're having someone who has to be skilled specifically in running that equipment, where you're having supplies that are necessarily going to be have a shelf life or a limited shelf life. A lot of these things, they're dry, they're disublimation processes usually. So they are shelf stable. They're not going to expire. You can have a box of like paper and ribbon for this thing that if it takes you a year to use it, you haven't lost any money. Mm-hmm. Um, and you've just gained the whatever profit that is. Um, and it always was back in the day, too, even when drugstores had wet labs. It was always a thing. Drugstores make their money off of the drugs. Um, that's always the highest profit item for like a drugstore. Um, just like a Target or a Walmart. They're not necessarily making their money off of their photo center, but it's getting people in the door. Mm-hmm. Um, so I all that's long thing to say i think that there's still absolutely a value for that 
And that impulse of being like, no, I need this. I need this now and quick. And I don't have the time to order it online. I don't have the time to wait for it, uh, whatever the case may be. Or again, it's my only option for this. Sure. Um, So I think there's absolutely merit to it. And I don't think it is a loss. And I think it's a relatively low... I want to say it's a relatively low risk and a low cost for them to be updating these. Um, and I think it is a chance for them to make some profit off of it. Um, and again, to, you know, some of these times it's leases for these equipments or places that are just straight out buying them. Sure. Um, cause I want to say like, even when we had the Kodak kiosks at Wolf, we were leasing them from Kodak. Mm-hmm. So we didn't like just straight out buy them. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, maybe they have programs where they're going to replace these for people that are leasing them and they sure. get new leases or whatever. I don't know that side of it. Mm. Um, but I think that there is definitely merit involved with it. Fair enough. Yeah. And I mean, I guess I'm kind of looking at it through an aspect of, you know, what has the potential for growth. Right. And so when I read articles saying that film processing is up 30, 40%, you know, um, I'll, I'll link the article in the show notes, but, um, you know, these photo labs are showing significant growth in film processing. And and as a result of people dropping off their film, they're going to want four by six prints. So in the sense of where I see where there's potential growth is updating mini labs, updating film processing and and uh and even scanning at that particular sense as far as on a uh lab level because what is currently in place now there's no good entry into making a wet lab you know possible right so like the equipment that Michael has here is incredibly scarce and well, it's incredibly expensive yeah to, i to mean acquire. there's fuji makes one color film negative film processor still mm-hmm. Um, and it's single channel and it only does like 35, 35. I and I want to say it does APS as well yeah. because there you can, there's really no difference in the processing of that. But yeah, they, they had it on display at imaging. Even you could, yeah. um, get film processed like right there. Mm-hmm. Um, no, it was no, no, WPPI. Wasn't imaging, WPPI. Yeah. That's right. They had it on display. Yeah. Um, so there are still some level of these things being made. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I get what you're saying. I think yeah. absolutely, but I don't think that the I think that like these kiosks are a very they're a quick and an easy way to um continue to build income, build familiarity with a brand. Because you still you walk in there and you see a big yellow kiosk with red letters on it and yeah, it says Kodak know. and you know. And yeah. you know, that name recognition is still very, very important. For sure. And I, I don't necessarily disagree with the notion that um, uh, that it is something that, let me put it this way. I think that the market is certainly much bigger as far as potential with these kiosks than saying bringing back film labs. So, I mean, the locations, the the number of locations where you could put a kiosk in place would be significantly more than, you know, a lab being put in place. Sure. So I, in that particular sense, I can agree with you as far as like the potential, as far as being more widespread with these kiosks. Um, so, but 
I just I feel like it it's it's a dying breed and and you know look for where the growth is happening so but uh any more you guys no we killed this I just, one I just hope they do it right I think they sure. will if they plan enough yeah yeah I'd hate to see them go down a rabbit hole and have issues again you mean oh as far as like like the whole Kodak business as an, as an in and of itself it's like focus on their core things that they do well and do those really well and make money mm-hmm. so that we can keep having film. Yeah, sure. exactly. And I mean, I, th- I think that that is something like seeing them refreshing these kiosks and updating and bringing new versions of them. That is exactly that. Mm-hmm. Sure. And I'm glad that it's one thing at a time. Yeah. Um, not that they're like, Hey, we're re going to, um, revolutionize the way that the photo lab industry is done. Here's this giant, like $4 billion investment. And <laughs> we poured all of our cash into this. Yeah. And yeah. we're banking everything on it. And we're banking <laughs> yeah. that, you know, all of the drugstores are going to get wet labs again tomorrow. Yep. And, you know, film processing <laughs> is going to be like it was in 1992. That would be interesting, though, if like you just went all in on that and just like people go, whoa. And, like the response to something like that huge were like, we're bringing back, like, you know how they were like, we're bringing back Ectochrome and everybody like flipped out about it. You know, could you imagine like they're like we're bringing out bringing back film labs everybody would be like hmm. I think everybody <laughs> would everybody would be everybody would be interested and it would make some great articles yeah um but then it would really depend the people who have the money to spend or want to invest yeah. in it to actually do it yeah um I mean the it's a little bit of the argument still of new film cameras like i want them to make new film scanners and i want them to be available and serviced and produced um just in the same way that i want like if whoever canon or reflex or whatever the company was tomorrow came out with like a new film slr or you know pentax all of a sudden was you know what here's a film back for our you know rb67 yeah, or like our Hasselblad <laughs> started making like film backs for their new their new camera. Yeah. Um I'd be amazing, but at the same time I'd be like that's great, but that's $4,000. I can pick up this 645 for 200 bucks. And there's a ton of them. And that literally was like kind of the chorus from people when, you know, like these kickstarters for new film cameras and stuff started coming out. And it's mm-hmm sucks there's not a good i don't have i'm just commenting on it i don't have like any mm-hmm. thing to say positive or negative um it's just that like that thing that would be the same thing you can still get um and i did a positive negative pun in there with the film hey um but you can still get they're harder and harder to find but you can still get a high-end professional film scanner for a few thousand dollars versus a brand new one coming on the market tomorrow it's probably going to be ten to twenty thousand sure. dollars. Um, so I don't know. It may be one of those things until there's nothing left. Yeah, that the market is just like either it adapts and makes something for it, um, or it does kind of implode. I I, I think I've kind of when we did the interview with Indie Film Lab, and I was in the middle of a conversation with Josh Motes uh, about how the technology is really old and how we're, you know, everybody's suffering from, or these labs are suffering from these scanners that are 20 years old. And then Tim Ryugo walks right up and then crashes the interview. And, and Josh 
he was joking, but he was also dead serious about it at the same time. He's like, Tim, make us a scanner. You know, like, you know, <laughs> it was like really, really like they hear it, you know. Oh, yeah. They, they acknowledge it. But I, I've kind of given up on the fact that they will focus on that ever again. Like, I think that that market, they have left it for sure. And it's going to be left up to another Kickstarter or some other company that is much smaller than said Kodak well, to I mean, fill that gap. And I mean, that's what's happening with these Kickstarters and these builders. Yeah, I mean, you have like things that. like the negative supply company right. and things like that. But yeah. I will just say as one aside that um, Kodak never produced their own mini lab scanners. Oh, um, yeah, it was. It was always like um, if it was a Kodak lab, they used uh, Noritsu's. Yep. Um, and then Fuji with the Frontiers. So yeah. I find it interesting that, you know, Noritsu uh, certainly had a very big hand as far as lab, wet lab processing. Oh, absolutely. And, yeah. And they don't have an interest in, in coming back. They don't. I mean, they've they dabbled the idea and they've kind of asked labs about it, but. I don't think that they're really going to commit to coming back to it. So. Yeah, I mean, it's the same way that like Canon and Nikon aren't going to all of a sudden, you know, start producing thirty-five millimeter cameras right. again. Right. So. Um, but the I forgot to I wanted to mention this or talk about this earlier because you talked about you know um, Brandon and getting a bunch of film and everything from him, all these mm-hmm. crazy stocks and all this your expired film project that you're wanting to do. Yeah. Um, and I have a couple of boxes of expired film sitting in my house too that i want to contribute to it and like throw into this so i'm cleaning out my office and moving it to make it the baby's room so i just have all of this stuff between like you know most of it anthony our friend anthony feista gave me and it's like things that he was given in 35 millimeter because he doesn't shoot that he just shoots medium format but like things that people just had lying around their studio from years. Like there's some rolls of Scotch Chrome and like Ooh, all of this what? obscure stuff. Yeah. Wow. Huh. That Scotch I just have Chrome. sitting there that I will probably not shoot anytime soon and would love to just have something done with it. So okay. let's get this whole expired film project running. And uh, right. I'll, uh, like I said, I will gladly contribute what I've got sitting there. Okay. Yeah. I, it will be very interesting. I know like I've started inventorying stuff. Um, and I, I don't want to say I feel overwhelmed right now as far as like how big this can potentially get, uh, especially now that you're contributing more film to it. You know, I'm excited. I'm stoked <laughs> for this and I, I'm, there's some, I want there's some random this. stuff in there. Yeah. But at the same time, I'm just kind of like, I'm thinking about the logistics behind this as far as like, how, how am I going to keep track of people that, you know, request this film, getting it out to them, inventorying all the film that I have, and then, you know, tracking all of that, right? That's what I'm trying. You figure it out. You're like, you know, you're you're in IT. I, yeah, that's no, what computers yeah. are for. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm, I'm pretty totally good agree. with Excel. I can help. Yeah, I was gonna <laughs> yeah, say exactly. Um, but at the same time it's like, you know, getting the film out to the person, making sure that they they shoot it, you know, making sure, you know, because people lives you know, get in the way and stuff like that. So, you know, hey, you get a chance to shoot that role or, you know, I want to try to be open to somebody saying, you know, I want to participate, but I can't really afford to, you know, process this film. I'll say, okay, we'll send it back to me. We'll process it. Yeah. Right. You know, I've had that conversation with Michael saying, I'd love to, you know, do this project for the community, you know, 
you know, can we, can we process some of this film? And he's totally open to, you know, saying, yeah, this is for the film community. Let's do it. Um, so I think there's a lot of potential there. And, um, so yeah, uh, I have an interview. I, I haven't set a time yet, but I know it's for sure it's going to happen. I'm going to be sitting down with M and, uh, he's going to give me the 411 on how to shoot expired film. So oh, there's, interesting. So, there's so much sounds like a good misinformation. Episode. Oh, it's going to yeah. be an amazing episode. I, you know, there's not so much misinformation. It's just, there's so much unknowns and everybody has their own quirky way of shooting expired film. And, you know, they take that as gospel and, and you know, how do you handle expired print film versus expired slide film? Exactly. Right. Like expired slide film scares the crap out of me. <laughs> right. And, and I also want people to realize like, please don't shoot anything like important with this because <laughs> there's a very, very good likelihood that you're not going to get anything on this. Oh whatsoever. yeah. Like you're going to get a complete dud. Oh, some of this film that I have is a batch of, it's a Fuji 800 speed film from the nineties Yeah, that when I shot some of it in, I want to say f- five, six years ago and overexposed the crap out of it. It came out like had these horrible color shifts and was just like some of the nastiest looking film I've ever seen. Yeah. And if somebody wants to get something that's going to look real weird, they should shoot a roll or two of this. Yeah. So like our great example uh, that I just recently was dealing with. So I took a roll from that batch just to kind of test it out and everything. It was the Fuji Pro 160 S, I think it was, whatever Mm -hmm. the 35 millimeter version, because the. 120s the NS. Well, they used to have C. they used to have both. Okay. Um they used to have an S they used to have it used to be called NPS and NPC and NPH. Okay. And NPZ. So it was the 160s were NPS and NPC okay. and then NPZ was the 800 and then NPH was the 400. Okay. Um so the 160S and 160C was 160S was like a standard Mm-hmm. And 160C was like higher contrast and okay. more saturated colors. Okay. So um, I shot this roll of film. I took it out on a bright sunny day and uh, in the park that we had some hot air balloons and stuff like that. And I rated the film for 25. Okay. And went around and shot it, brought it in and got it developed. And there's literally like, it is so thin, like I can barely make out one image Dang. on that entire roll. Like, I mean, I try to run it through the frontier and it's like, please try to line up the frame. And like, you're, you're trying to like, you know, it's all automated. Wow. So you're pressing the button here. You don't see anything on there. I was like, holy crap. There's this, this was not kept very well. So like, I'm sure there's going to be a lot of misses, mm-hmm. you know? And, and I think, that's my concern with this particular project is that there's a very high failure rate oh, off sure. this film that I want people to know, like, don't, please don't shoot a wedding with this film, right? you like, good grief. There's going to be like a very big disclaimer sticker on the roll of film saying, look, this is for fun. This is for your enjoyment. You might get something. Experimentation, expe- yeah. you know, yeah. It, please expect to get nothing out of this. And that if you do get something out of it, yay. If not, then no big deal, you know. So that's just, that's my concern out of yeah. this particular project. And so I want to talk to M. I want him to kind of give me his insight on this particular, you know, um, you know, you, we've all heard the, 
one stop per decade kind of thing. Like, is that really true? I don't know. And then when you have no idea how old the roll of film actually is exactly. and how it was stored. And right. I mean, I'm so surprised that that 160, because the slower feed speed film typically is better. Yeah. yeah. That's so weird. Yeah. That must have been either stored poorly or, I mean, who knows? Who knows? But yeah, I mean, it's such a gamble. Like I had, um, uh, my f- one of my favorite expired stocks is a Konica Minolta like Pro mm. 400 film that they only made in 220. Yeah. Um, and I bought up a few batches of it, and most of it's been great. But this one batch I bought, um, from somewhere I want to say it was the Philippines or Thailand, maybe mm-hmm. like all of it is water damage. <laughs> um, so like you go and shoot it, and it has some now that I know that these particular batches have that effect. I'm saving them from when I want to do something weird. Yeah, you yeah. can get some cool streets. Yeah, like I did a like portrait that. shoot, and I, that was just for fun year before last. Um, and was it year? Yeah, I think it Sometime. Time has no meaning anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, it might have been around December 2017, I think. Um, and it was uh, like really cool images Yeah, that I, I even told the model. It was like, hey, I'm going to shoot this film now, and this might not come out at all. It's some weird old expired film but let's just go for it. And she loved the pictures too that oh, came out. Awesome. So, but that's because I had a chance to like batch test it sure. and like actually see what these rolls were going to look like before yeah. I shot it. And yeah. if you have just one random roll in a bag that was given to you, yeah, like that's the thing with the stuff that Anthony gave me. Some of these yeah. things, there's one box of Scotch Chrome in there, which was made by Ferenia, um in the like nineties. So it's like no idea how this, and I think maybe these are 1000 speed. So, uh, it's, oh. yeah, it's going to be a mess. Yeah. Huh. <laughs> go ahead and shoot that at like 50. <laughs> but, it's, but it's slide film, too. Oh, okay. Oh, I didn't see, know that was... That makes it even harder. Yeah, yeah exactly. Hence yeah. why it's just been sitting in a pile in my office. Yeah, that's interesting. So, But yeah, no, I, I'm excited. I do have some reservations about it. and um, But I, I'm still going to go through with it. I just want to provide people as much information and as much disclosure going into this, that there will most likely be a very high failure rate out of this project. So, uh, but yeah, that's, that's pretty much it. Not exactly photo news. No, really. Thanks for derailing the photo news. It's, I think it's news. (laughs) It's news for us. Sure. And I think it's worth exploring and diving into more. So yeah, I think it can be fun and newsworthy. Yeah. Um, Um, there will be, uh, updates along the way. I, I want to say this is probably going to be a couple weeks leading up to when I launch this because I want to know how I want to deliver this, like how I want to track this. Like, do I want to put this on the website where you can check out the film? Like, you can buy it. Like, I'll give you a promo code so it's free, and then but you just pay for the shipping or something along those lines, and then you know. Uh, and then that way we can track it through orders and stuff like that. So there's, yeah. uh, there's or a whole is bunch it of just like a total random, like you put your name in it and then you'll get like two rolls of just random film that we send your way. Yeah. And it may be, you know, a roll of Scotch Chrome and a roll of T-Max 100. And, yeah. you know. Yeah. Um, And then I got to think about how many people I want mm. to participate because I mean, I would love to have as many people possible but I think that it can certainly get out of control very quickly. Oh, for sure. Um, and I think uh, Bartosik did a very great job as far as um, doing 30 people at first. 
and then opening up the group to everybody after the, you know he's already got the images back and everything and now he's ready to let people buy this film because he is bulk rolling it himself yeah. and all that stuff so people are buying it it's super cheap like i think it's like you know four dollars a roll which is i mean it's like price of kodak gold but you know that's awesome oh so, yeah for sure so anyway uh next item on the photo news Brrr, can't see my face behind so i got a new phone and it does the fit, whole face id and it could not see me behind the uh, microphone anyway uh weird topic but you know how you can do the fingerprint on your phone yeah most people hold it with their right i had this idea Sometimes I hold up with my left. I should just use my left fingerprint as well as my right because you can store like five yeah. fingerprints. Yeah, it has made my life so much easier. Oh yeah, like I have on like both both of my hands are on here for like my I think my index finger and my thumb on both of them. Yeah, yeah. okay. Just on the side. Um, so <laughs> not talking about fingerprints. How are we doing on time? As far as like the hour, blew this out of the water. All right. Well, so, we should probably you yeah, can cut wrap, the fingerprint part. Out. Wrap it up yeah. soon. So I'll I'll talk about let's talk more about iPhones, guys. Let's. No. Oh jeez, you're killing me here. All right, so um, went through the news here. All right, so uh, this is something that I found really interesting. So I had been following Kelly Shane Fuller for for a good bit, at least for about a year and a half now. He was uh he had an article that came up. I want to say it was the photographer maybe or maybe another site. I can't remember. Um, where he was working on reverse engineering uh the processing. Uh, film process, the film development process for Kodachrome K14. And um, I just was looking through his Instagram feed or it showed up on an Instagram feed of him holding a roll of Kodachrome 64 with the Kodachrome Basin State Park in the background. And uh, his caption on that was what really caught my eye because this is what he had to say. Two years in the making finally made it and uh hashtag film film photography film is not dead and um kodak and then hashtag kodachrome so i reached out to him i told him i'd like to kind of hear more about this i don't know what all he has accomplished with it uh the results that he posted when he was working on this uh, two years ago, um, he was getting some really good results, you know, granted there were really heavy shifts and all that stuff, but you know, he's almost there. And, and so now, uh, Steven's playing with this Hexar and the noises are really distracting me now. Excellent. So, <laughs> so yeah, uh, hopefully I can get more info from Kelly Shane Fuller. So sir, if you're listening to this, we need to talk. Want to learn more about this because uh, that would be cool to have in your expired film contest. Mm. Some Kodachrome, if he could develop it. Well, I did order a roll of Kodachrome that was expired in 2010. That was been in a freezer for that long since it's expired, and at least the person promises that it's been in a freezer since it expired. So uh, it would be really cool to see if I can do some kind of collab with him where I get this one role developed with him and, and see what we get out of it. So uh, I don't know. We'll see what happens with that. So uh, last I heard, film lasts longer in a freezer, right? Yeah, unless you are uh, using uh, instant film. Okay. Yeah, because of the yeah. um, chemicals will freeze and then become useless. Crystalline. Yeah, so you don't want to. Although I've never tried it, but I've heard some people have actually doing that of taking instant film that has started to 
dry, um, dry up and then freeze it and thaw it and freeze it and thaw it and kind of like rehydrate it a little bit. Mm -hmm. So it might be worth a shot, but there's um, actually speaking of Anthony again, he had a huge uh, uh, stock of some Polaroids. I want to say it was six, six, four or, and he had like 18 packs of it that are all just dust that he was, you know, counting on. And some of it was as recent as like 2008 on the expiration, which makes me a little fearful because I have stuff around that same time frame sitting in my fridge. Gotta um, shoot some film. Dang I gotta it. shoot some. I gotta shoot some of that Polaroid film. Dang it! <laughs> Before it's gone. So yep. I'll uh, see if what I can see what I can use up on this uh, on this child that's coming into the world shortly. There you go. All right. So let's let's get through the last couple bits here. Yeah. Because I know we, we're way over time. Yeah. <laughs> All right. I promised Amanda it would be a short one tonight, and that has not been the case. Nope. That's your fault. So How's it my fault. <laughs> So uh, one of the things there should be kiosks. You told us why. <laughs> <laughs> and and, and the interruptions. That's and fair I enough. Can't finish, I can't finish the news. All right, fine. <laughs> All right. So uh, I listened to an episode uh, with the Wright brothers. I mean, the brothers Wright uh, on the Kodakry. Um, so I, I'd like to kind of pat myself on the back that we interviewed them first. So, but. Uh, uh, no, it was a fantastic interview uh, with the brothers, and um, there was a lot more content in that uh, interview that uh, we didn't really dive into. They really kind of explained, um, you know, the reasoning for why they're um, they kind of started this. Like we kind of all know, like the general story of it, but they really got into the nitty gritty of it and the uh, machinery that they kind of created uh, to solve their problem when it came to removing the um uh, rem jet layer so uh so really cool interview you didn't listen to it yeah you no guys i haven't, haven't listened, listened to it, it? Okay. yet. yeah you gotta listen to it it's a really good one so um ooh, uh kodak has released their 2019 q2 financial reports that's a big one i don't want to talk about it other than that um can't really judge a business based on you know, three months. Yeah. And um, I mean, the, yeah. and the stock market is such a, Oh, it's all kinds of messed up. Right yeah, now. exactly. Yeah. Um, but speaking of Kodak though, they did just announce today. I want to say that they're doing, um, two rounds of film factory tours. Um, yeah. one of them is in September and the other one is in December this year. And hmm. it looks like way more in depth than the tour we even got to take. Sweet. And, uh, I'm not sure how many seats they have for it, but, they're about $300 for the tour, which it's not cheap, but I mean, they're going to like film uh, motion co coding, film finishing area. Yeah. You get to have uh, lunch in George Eastman's office at oh, the end man. of it and, yeah. uh, you know, hang out with his ghost. Sounds like an so, awesome Christmas present. Right? So yeah, for the for the right person, that's yeah. that's amazing and totally worthwhile. And Rochester's just an incredible city. Oh, for sure. Yeah, we when we went, we saw just the finishing. And just a section of it. Yeah. Yeah, just a section of it. And that was almost a full day's worth, man. Yeah. So there's a lot. I think yeah. I think it's a steep price tag, but I think well worth the money. Oh, for sure. For sure. So um all right, so the uh, last item on the list as far as the photo news is Holga Week. I'm actually kind of excited about this. Uh, so uh, Holga Week, which is a um, uh, it's a week. Twitter. 
It's a Twitter account. It's seven days. It is going to be seven days, the first week of October. So uh, October 1st through the 7th, they have a little uh, contest that's going on. And I'm really excited about it because uh, the Film Photography Project actually had um, some really good pricing on their 120Ns. And uh, I got them for like 29 bucks. So um, I ran my first roll film through it. I was very happy with the results. And um, I'm going to shoot during that week they're fun man they really are yeah i mean the last time i took mine out i forgot to switch the shutter speed setting from bulb back to normal (laughs) so so everything was a little bit soft but um there's still some good stuff in there yeah Yeah. so uh do you have a holga charvy no i've never actually played with one and i i'm gonna have to give it a try or at least find one to check out or maybe maybe even buy one i mean they're they're worth it for the Novelty of it. I mean, say the novelty, the we've talked before, I think, about like how getting to know them and work really well with them, like any tool, you can do amazing work with a Holga. Yeah. yeah. Um, but uh yeah, I mean, there's just something nice to like that role I shot, even though like the images maybe not great out of it, but just the simple act of using it. Yeah. And how there's n- almost nothing to think about. Yeah. Um you're I just like that. <laughs> it's zone focus and it's a fixed shutter speed and you've got a couple different aperture settings on it and it's all based on like shade or bright sunlight and yeah. then you know is this how many feet away yeah. and people have done some mods like breaking the focus on them so you can do close up with them and <laughs> you know things like that but yeah, yeah they're they're just they're it sounds s- almost like a Polaroid camera yeah um, in a way yeah. roll film yeah and in that kind of same aspect of it's very true to that lamography idea of yeah. like just don't think just shoot yeah so really excited about it um i was really happy i felt like uh so i put a roll of portrait 400 in it and uh, um kind of treated it as if it was like a, a disposable camera almost yeah because uh the settings on it you know it's a fixed shutter speed i think is like one or well you have bulb mode, first mm-hmm. of all, but you also have the normal mode, which is, I think, one one twenty-fifth of a second or something like that. It's either that or one-sixtieth. One yeah, two. so, yeah. Um, and then uh, the two apertures from what I read on the notes as far as um, it's going to be F8 or F11. Yep. So, uh, you know, I was kind of treating it as if, oh, if it's sunny outside, I'll go ahead and just shoot it like around F8, kind of like, you know, a little... The simple ace camera that you yeah. had when we did the little camera review, the settings were very similar. So I was like, all right, I'm going to just do this as Portrait 400. And the results were fantastic. I was nice, plenty impressed with the results out of it. So um, so I might play around with and put like Portrait 800 in it or maybe just a Lomo 800. I was going to say like a Lomo 800 or four, even Lomo 400 in it. Just color, yeah. I would say a negative film in one of those cameras. Yeah. I would not recommend shooting slide <laughs> film. In yeah. It. Just you're going to get blown out very quickly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, well, cool. Uh, I think that is it. Uh, we had a lot to talk about. So, uh, Eric, thank you, sir, for coming on to the show. Thank you for having me uh, again. You it's are, always a pleasure to stay after hours here. Yeah, yeah. man. So glad Fun. to have you. You are now free to go. We will unlock the door and <laughs> yes. take the boot off of your car. Can I have my keys back too? Um, you have to find them first. Oh boy! <laughs> yeah, exactly. Hold on to your camera over there. So, oh, I just want to get the meter to work. I've been like reading up on it in between, uh, giving Bill a hard time. Well, there you go. Um, so should we should we ask him the question, the one on one interview question? 
Yeah, let's do it. I don't know. I'm not usually here for these. Oh, okay. So, but you should have, you know what question I'm about yeah, to I ask. know. I'm just trying to be in a I do too, and I have an answer already for you. Oh, oh, excellent. Well, then what question did I not ask that you would have liked me to have asked, sir? I don't know if it's a question, but I, uh, then you aren't ready for um, me. Yeah, I thought about <laughs> it. All right, you yeah. missed your chance. <laughs> Uh, no, please go. Ahead. No, I was. Uh, my thought was that um, with the book and some of the printing stuff on here, I've really felt jaded with Instagram recently, and just Ooh. not not really interested in posting stuff because it doesn't has. I don't know why it hasn't appealed to me. It just seems kind of like huh. meaningless. And I was uh, going through an existential Instagram moment here. <laughs> Dude, I get <laughs> but, uh, it. No, I, I really got into a kick of like, yeah, I really need to just print some stuff to see it and hold it. That's why I was giving you a bit of a hard time talking earlier about hey when are we going to see a print some work episode <laughs> yeah i know i, I but, uh, really want to do it yeah it was it's yeah. i've found that as i've gotten further into film i've really begun to enjoy printing work more than almost as much as just taking photos yeah there's a, there's a very i know you've said it's a rabbit trail that just keeps going and going and going yeah well and i think the problem is is that i know that i'm not going to be able to touch every single subject when it comes to print to your printing your work is there are just so many paths that you can go down and it would be cool to do a multi-episode anthology though mm. i think so it would be really cool um i don't know i'm, I'm definitely gonna have to revisit i mean that, i've been so. saying i'm gonna get this is gonna be the month i get back into the dark room and print for <laughs> the what two and a half years i've been doing this podcast yeah, now. yeah that's true so well cool man well thanks again for coming down and hanging out with us it is certainly always a pleasure um, please keep us updated on this book man um i'm really excited about it i I'm ready to buy it. I want to talk about it even more when when it. Uh... For you, I give special price. Oh, well, all right. Oh, hey, don't easy. So, Eric, where can we find you on your social medias? Even though you just said that you felt jaded by Instagram. <laughs> yep, uh, I am on Instagram at e j a r v i underscore. Um, don't have Facebook. Got rid of that. Felt great, and uh, that's about it. Whoa. Got rid of Facebook. I'm not going to touch in that. No. All right. So, uh, all right. Well, uh, please uh, follow us on Instagram, studio.c41, uh, Twitter, studio underscore c41. And Have we gotten that Friendster up and running yet? And follow us on YouTube. Uh, you can search for us. Why are studio you dodging C4- my questions? <laughs> and follow us on Studio C41. What is our live journal handle? So, Stephen, where can we find you <laughs> on Instagram? <laughs> Oh, good grief. Snarkyremarks.ca. Um, no. Um, I am at Stephen Wallace Photo um, on the Instagrams. And uh, yeah, come hang out. We'll, uh, we'll, I don't know what we'll do. It's Instagram. But anyway, um, I'm tired. All right, guys. Well, that wraps <laughs> it up for this episode. So until the next one. Shoot some film. Dang Dang it. it.